0: Welcome back everybody into Bill's chat I am Josh McCarty with me tonight as always is Luca and Luca after a very disappointing couple of weeks we're back in the win column we have a Bill's victory 32 to 6 over the New York Jets in Buffalo today Orchard Park to be exact the bills improved to six and five on the season when Kyle Allen was on the field kneeling out and having this score go final what was going through your mind?
1: Uh, probably a lot of things where I already basically checked out of the game to be quite honest, but yeah, in the context of the game itself, uh, there was a lot of joy and excitement. It it, it just relief of a win, of course, and everything like that. But I, I said on our live show that there was no result that could truly hook me back in or change my opinion on this team overall at its current state. I'd still maintain that position, but I'm happy they didn't. Slump through a win or, you know, slog through a disgusting game where they inevitably won. I I am happy that they were able to kind of win emphatically really put their foot on the throat of the jets and show once again, that they can dominate in a game for 60 minutes where the result or, you know, the win is essentially never in doubt. The first time that they eclipsed a touchdown, it just Felt like at that point, okay, what are the Jets going to be able to do to respond? Because they could barely get in the end zone in the first place. And overall, it was just by the kneel down situation. I was already checked out a little bit on the game for all the right reasons, because the bills, as I said, dominated for 60 minutes for the most part. And just got the job done in a game where their backs were against the wall and they needed to do something in this fashion.
0: You know, it's funny. I do the halftime show for built in Buffalo and I did the halftime show week one. I did the halftime show today, both times the bills played the jets. The bills went into halftime with a 10 point lead and both times at halftime. I said, the only way the bills lose this game is if they go out there and turn the ball over. Because if you remember week one, we thought it was going to be Aaron Rodgers four plays in as Zach Wilson. And it was very apparent he could not move the ball. Much of the same today, although Zach Wilson came in as the starter, but the Jets could do nothing offensively save for a fake punt and then a personal foul penalty that set up their one touchdown drive. And the difference in the two games, Luca, was stark. In the first game of the season, the Bills got, after leading by 10 points at halftime, the Bills got outscored 19 to three the rest of the way. Today, the Bills outscored the Jets 16 to nothing. 16-point swing one way, 16-point swing the other way. This was the answer to the week one game. And I know Josh Allen threw the interception at the at halftime that we all just want to roll our eyes at. It's going to be a talking point for guys like Stephen A. Smith and Nick Wright who want to talk about how many consecutive games Josh Allen had with a turnover. But this was, if you want to go down the list of things you wanted to see from the Bills, and I want to have a larger Joe Brady conversation here in a second but just from the Josh Allen standpoint, Luca, twenty of thirty-two, two seventy-five, three touchdowns, the interception on the hail mary, which I think says something about Josh Allen, because we've seen quarterbacks in the past that are piling up interceptions that just aren't willing to throw hail marys. It's like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a five percent chance of a touchdown for a fifty percent chance at an interception. Josh Allen was like, no, I'll, I'll take my shot. I don't care what the media says. I think that says something. He also added. Um, 15 yards on the ground in general. How impressed were you with QB one's performance today?
1: Um, I was, I was fairly impressed. I I think there were still moments where he's working through something visually, mentally, however you want to say it. He definitely hitched on the ball a few times where I even had myself saying out loud in the living room. I want to see the all 22 on that. I want to see the downfield. I want to see what he saw where he felt like he couldn't truly pull the trigger on it whether that was kind of him second guessing a window that he could or could not throw into because of interceptions past, we don't know. We'll have to kind of watch it afterwards, but overall at the end of the day and the product that he put on the field, I am definitely happy with it. I, I think he didn't even have to use his legs to kind of create too much going on. He was able to start getting comfortable once again in this game. And as the game, you know, rolled, That one throw to Khalil Shakir that ended up being that touchdown, that is an absolute beautifully thrown ball into a window that beats one of the best corners in the league in Sauce Gardner that then Shakir himself has a great open field run to then find holes in space to get it into the end zone. That to me with that play could potentially be the moment more so that I think gets the confidence back rolling with Josh Allen gets the offense feeling better about themselves because it feel that one play felt like the old days that one play felt like this is what we had almost gotten spoiled with in years past and that is something maybe they can build on where it's like you can still do this you can still throw in those windows without being reckless about it and, and maybe early on the confidence wasn't entirely there, or maybe that voice was in the back of Allen's head. like Joe Brady telling him, please limit your turnovers stuff of that nature. I'm very curious to see that maybe it truly wasn't a window that he should have been throwing to and good on him to show restraint. Um, the interception on the hail Mary. I don't know if I buy as much as I, I love him doing it, you know, stuff like that. I do. I don't think he cares. And that's good, fine yeah. with me. Like I, I say that, but I, I more so it's just a uh, screw it. Like if anyone actually cares about this interception, like, you, you got problems. Well, but. We're a
0: fan base that watched Trent Edwards run out of bounds on a Hail Mary one time at the end of the <laughs> game, because I mean, so we're jaded, but anyway, your point remains
1: yeah. hashtag never forget. <laughs> never forget. Um, but yeah, it, it, the Hail Mary is just the one thing that was shocking about me. He didn't drive off his back foot. He's kind of like lusting, lunging forward as he releases it. But even a friend of mine in my living room was like, wow, I'm surprised he couldn't get that all the way to the end zone. And that was my takeaway from the Hail Mary. I was like, did he just come up five yards short on that? Like of all people, Allen would be the guy. I'd be like, he should be getting it to the end zone. There must have been something to the wind, whatever it might be. We didn't see that on TV, but they weren't even letting bass kick 50 yard field goals that direction. They didn't feel comfortable enough with it. So maybe there's something there. But back to the point to wrap this up. I was happy with Alan today. I think he showed that, you know, maybe he is truly just working out some things and he's getting back to what he is. Maybe they got back to fundamentals, basics, and kind of more of, hey, just grounding him a little bit and not in the sense of where you're limiting him, but just trying to simplify stuff for him so that you can build him back up that elite guy that we know he can be because he's shown it before
0: so when you look at josh allen's history against the jets uh week one he had 236 yards passing three interceptions last year he had in the two games 205 yards two interceptions 147 yards one touchdown no interceptions and then the year before that's when the jets were just brutally awful so this was his best statistical game In a long time, in almost two calendar years against these Jets, he had 8.6 yards per completion. And what's fascinating about that, and maybe this is a good transition into the Joe Brady conversation, Luca, if I had told you on Friday, Josh Allen is going to throw for 275 yards, but we're going to have Dalton Kincaid with 46 yards, Stefan Diggs with 27 yards, And Gabe Davis without a catch. You would have called me crazy. Is this a sign of a potentially new offensive design under Joe Brady? Is this just one of those fluky games? I mean, we know the Khalil Shakir catch and run pads those stats a little bit. We understand that there was another Ty Johnson long catch and run. You know, that, that helps pad the stats a little bit. Maybe that just eats into it. But when you have Khalil Shakir, three for 115, Ty Johnson, three for 47, they spread the ball around well. I know there's a Gabe Davis conversation to have later in the show. We want to get negative, maybe game check, spoiler alert. Uh, But in general, what does that tell you about the receiving output? Because to me, this is what I have been wanting to see from this team for the longest time. When Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen aren't going, that is this team's fastball. I have no concerns about Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and their ability to work together. But when it's not going right, and Dalton Kincaid, who now has become the counterpunch on this offense, is not lighting it up. He's just having a solid game. What do you have for me? Well, in the past it was, can Gabe Davis get me one over the top? That didn't happen today. Today, it was Khalil Shakir, Ty Johnson, James Cook out of the backfield a couple times. There was Quentin Morris um, mixed in there and then a solid running game. James Cook averaging 4.3 yards per carry against what could be considered the best defense in the NFL. What do you where are you at on this? Is this just a one game fluke or is this potentially a sign of a changing of the guard?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily a sign, and I'll just say that because two plays combined for 109 yards passing Mm -hmm. being the Khalil Shakir play I referenced prior and then the Ty Johnson uh, touchdown that you also just referenced there. So that would tend to me to or that would tend to tell me that it would be a little bit flukish where I hesitate on actually coming down and calling it flukish is the fact that it was still finding finding the ways to be successful in the ways that the defense are allowing you. And overall, this is a defense that Josh Allen has shown he hasn't been able to have that ability to do so. He still would try to attack them on the perimeter with, you know, a Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs and so on and so forth, and it just never worked out for him. I think that's where the failures came. It, it was We would never see this offense thrive when you attack their weaknesses. It almost seemed as if this offense wasn't willing to attack the weaknesses week in, week out. The, the weakness clearly for this defense is kind of – Over the middle a little bit because they do have great linebackers, but they wouldn't be kind of world beaters as coverage linebackers. They're more downhill linebackers and just kind of always wrapping up in the open field. Their safeties are okay at best. You know, anyone would be happy to have them starting safeties, but they're not going to kill you or be game wreckers. And their boundary corners are, of course, their absolute strength. They have two of the best boundary corners in the league where the safeties just need to cover the overtop and they will take everything else. So what they try to do is create a thinner game. They want to slim it inside the numbers and they just want to make it difficult for you where you accept those other things and you don't have your dynamic guys like a digs in this, in this league, shredding you on the outside that then just make the field bigger for your defense. It's very smart and well done by Salah. And I think this offense with Josh Allen and maybe Joe Brady recognizing it as well upstairs, just kind of got the ball where it needed to be in the more successful areas of the field. Like the Khalil Shakir pass. Yes, it was a tight window. Yes. Sauce Gardner was in the area, but that was still kind of a route that developed over the middle of the field that inevitably Allen just found the window of opportunity to finally strike it through. And then playing out of the backfield, while that might not be over the middle of the field, that is still kind of going into the weakness of that defense only because If their boundary corners are so concerned with those boundary weapons and are going back with them, that underneath coverage isn't quite there for this defense. And Allen was happy to take those things time and time again with Ty Johnson, with James Cook, so on and so forth. It was just a great display of understanding what you are seeing in front of you from a defense that you have clearly struggled against in previous outings. And then executing at a much better level, which I can't believe I just used the word execution to be quite honest, because I've been hating that word for the past few weeks with this team, but it was just doing the job that you needed to do to find great success at the end of the day. So I don't want to call it fluky, even though you do have a couple of those plays that the kind of percentage wise take up a vast majority of the passing yards. and and the productivity of this offense, but James Cook averaging over four yards on the ground, Latavis Murray being, you know, okay in his own right with 3.5, you know, 35 yards on 10 carries. Like overall as an offensive unit, there seemed to be rhythm. There seemed to be a comfort level that they found against a defense that they were far from comfortable with in prior outings. And that to me is a bigger, bigger win than the flukiness it might appear to others just because there were two large, large chunk plays. So it's kind of in the middle of those two things, Josh, to me, I, I think Joe Brady deserves a lot of accolades for what he's doing, especially in a short week and just being thrusted into this position of play calling. And yes, there is a, a, a hint of flukiness to this overall uh, game in its statistic way. But at the end of the day to me, I, I think it was a net positive and I think this should give you some sort of promise for this offense with weeks to come for the rest of the season, because I think there is definitely something there to be had, you know, moving forward where they can hopefully continue to build on and find success down the road.
0: Let's talk about Joe Brady, because I think there's, there's going to be an overreaction among bills fans. The, the first game out, the bills have not scored, had not scored coming into today. 30 points in a football game since week four when they blew out the dolphins and they score 32 points against a defense that has owned them a defense that is largely considered the best defense in football right there with the cleveland browns and people are going to say oh ken dorsey out joe brady and this everything's fine and that is clearly an overreaction and joe brady is not sean McVay yet and, and he's not kyle shanahan yet let's not let's not go there but i think the fact that what we saw today seemed like such a, f- a breath of fresh air luca says so much more about ken dorsey than joe brady because what i saw what you saw the things we were screaming for in recent weeks the things that you know peek behind the curtain a couple of weeks ago you come on the show before we even go on the air and you're like i'm done with ken dorsey i'm done with ken dorsey the bills used motion today They And they had not been doing that. Nothing I'm about to say here is reinventing football. Nothing I'm about to say here is revolutionizing the sport. That's why so many Bills fans, myself and Luca included, were so frustrated with this offense because the things we were wanting to see were not this revolutionary, like let's get four guys wide open on a play by creating a play nobody's ever seen before. Let's use basic concepts and use the weapons we have. And Joe Brady did that. There was a lot of pre-snap eye candy that you could just tell through the Jets off. There was like a second and 16 where they throw the running back out in the flat. You see the Dolphins run this play like 27 times a game, and it led to Khalil Shakir being wide open over the middle of the field to convert that. And I think that there were easy throws for Josh Allen. The, The play design on the James Cook touchdown was a beautiful design. I think Joe Brady deserves a lot of credit for trying to get Stefan Diggs involved early. You hear all the time, you want to get your your ace receiver, the ball in his hands early to get him going. Now it didn't work out. There was a, The first play of the game was a screen call for Diggs. It wasn't there and Josh Allen threw it in the dirt. The second play of the game, they throw another short one to Diggs. It, it gets like one yard. The Jets were all over it. Give him credit. But I love the fact that Joe Brady was like, look, we're getting 14 the ball right away. He needs to feel a part of this game. And you combine that with the fact that that We haven't watched the All-22. We we get that. We haven't looked at the stats. Maybe the stats will come back and say that the Bills didn't motion more today than they did in previous games. I'm going by feel because we've just watched the live. But the fact that it felt like play calls were setting up the next play call. The run game and the pass game were connected. You saw the same look in the pass game and the run game, and it kept the Jets off balance. And again, this is football. This isn't... Joe Brady is the next Sean McVay, but Joe Brady did things that we had not seen Ken Dorsey do. I don't know if it was stubbornness. I don't know if it was from Sean McDermott. I don't know if it was Josh Allen checking out of it, but today, Luca, this felt like a totally different offense. And for for you and I, I know, based on the private conversations we've had, it's like, where has this been? Because this is not high level stuff we've been asking for. And when the bills can put it out there, you can score 32 points against the best defense
1: in the sport. Yeah. Crazy concept. Yeah. Um, it, it was just the feeling of this offense was designed. It felt designed. It felt like there was a purpose for play calling and what you were calling when the only time I felt like that wasn't the case, Josh was the ironic part of it was a play we would have seen in the Dorsey era. We'll call it now where the go-to play that was kind of becoming that play for Allen's of late was kind of this play action or play action, this, this read option kind of flat pass to Kincaid. So that felt like the only time where you were more so just going to a play that I think Allen might like and stuff. And we, we saw it successful in like the Cincinnati game, for instance, but today it really wasn't ever successful. And I did make a comment. I was like, It would be really nice to see them actually, like, see Allen actually hand the ball off in that same look, because that might create a much better opportunity out of a simple play like that. Because then you are just putting on film for defenses to study what the alternatives out of that form, out of that post snap look are for them to be concerned about and maybe hold that weak side linebacker or whoever that's on the side of Kincaid from just attacking that hold the corner potentially from something that might be there downfield, whatever it might be. It just feels like that. That is a gimme. You're just, you know, showing the handoff for show and then immediately just throwing it out to Kincaid is it might as well just not even put the ball down and get it out quicker. Josh, it, it's just not working out. Um That were that play was the only time which we saw a handful of times where I was like, okay, You're just throwing that in there to give, you know, Allen a simple completion, get him in rhythm, whatever it might be, just something of that regard. Everything else, though, the the pre stat motion actually felt meaningful. There, There were moments of why you did it. Eventually, they had Hardy take one of those. It didn't work out. It was kind of an ugly play. I thought the timing of that play was not the greatest, but you're still doing these things because it puts it on film. It makes the defense respect it, and you're hopefully building some sort of design and system out of this that you can continue to compile on as the weeks pass and now this Brady offense that maybe it can grow upon and actually flourish as a much more well thought out organized offense than what we've seen in the Dorsey era. Because as you said, so spot on, it just never felt that way at that moment in time. And at the end of the day, We just need something that feels appropriate, designed, and structured for Allen and this offense to go because we can see, as they did today, that you can eclipse 30-plus points. And if you you score 30-plus points on any team in this league, you are giving yourself the opportunity to win any game against any team because 30 points is still a hell of a lot of points.
0: Let's talk about the defense because this was not – the best we talked about the bills did this against the best defense in the league and the jets. This may be the worst offense in the league they win against, but the defense since losing all of these guys, and I'm going to actually pull up here, the bills game log, because I feel like the bills are, I think I saw this stat that the bills and the chiefs are the only two teams this season that haven't given up 30 points in a single game, which is pretty astounding when you think about some of the guys they've lost on defense, Shedavious White, DaQuan Jones, Matt Milano, I have stalled long enough. Um, so today against the Jets, they give up six points, and really, you want to talk about it, a cheap six points—a fake punt and then a personal foul penalty—and you know—and and that really helps them out down the drive. But they gave up six points nonetheless. Uh, against Cincinnati, they gave up twenty-four. We would have all signed for that before the game. The Bronco game. Um, really a lot of that was aided by the offensive mistakes. They gave up 24, 18 against the Bucs. The one outlier, 29 against the Patriots. That's pretty sickening. But this defense, since losing all those players in England, nine against the Giants, the defense has been fine. And now Rasul Douglas, we we said when we traded for him, we were excited. Uh, We said it might take some time, but we think he has a chance to be the best cornerback this team has had this year. I think he's already there, Luca. (laughs) Um, You know, you don't want to judge a cornerback by turning the ball over, but holy cow, we're talking about a guy that the Bills traded for, what, three weeks ago, and he's going to be the AFC defensive player of the week this week. It's hard for me to imagine that somebody had a better week than Rasul Douglas, who was involved in three turnovers. Um, I think between Rasul Douglas, Linval Joseph, minimizing the loss of Trey, Trey White, and Daquan Jones, Terrell Bernard continuing to play at that star level that helps minimize the loss of Matt Milano. They have not replaced Matt Milano, but having that stud there in Bernard is helping cover up from that. And some getting Micah Hyde back, you could tell today, really helped. What's your confidence level in this defense? Because I maintain the path for this Bills team, if they are going to make a run, is the offense has to be great and the defense has to be average to above average. Do you think this defense as presently constructed can continue to be average to above average?
1: Um yeah. I, I think there's enough So how do how do I put this? I'm I'm trying to think of how I say the point that I I know I have up here Josh. It is in this head. Um I don't believe any of the words that Tony Roma believed in when he was talking late in that game where, you know, this is a system and, you know, there's a lot of depth players and things of that nature. I think Romo was almost reading from a card where it seemed like he was trying not to laugh at certain points in time. But the in between the lines of that message, Josh, I think there's actually a good answer to this point where I can believe that this defense can be average to above average any given day. And in that message that Romo was essentially just reading off of a teleprompter I think the one advantage of this team at its current point in time where McDermott has built it on the defensive side, especially is with injuries coming and going, all of these guys fully grasp the system that is the defense McDermott tries to achieve. Whether you are a third stringer or a starter, you understand the job at hand wherever you may be plugged. I think that's what McDermott has tried to build and continue to build on the defensive side of the ball throughout his entire time with Buffalo. And that makes sense to me. It just does fit his mold. And that's where, even if they are a depth guy, you know, if we're asking Saran Neal to play meaningful minutes at any point in time and whatever it is, I think the reason that you see serviceable minutes out of those players is because they feel comfortable enough in the system that McDermott's built that they understand the job at hand. And as long as you do your job in this league on a good defense under a good defensive coach, I think you can achieve average to above average things. I don't think you need to be a Supreme athlete to then reach those levels. If you are a Supreme athlete, that's where then you excel through that above average ceiling and you can become an elite defense and an elite defensive player with the Rasul Douglas side of stuff. Josh, I would love to talk about Rasul Douglas all the time. He popped today. He, He, those, those DBs, those players that just have a nose for the ball, he is clearly one of them. He he sticks to receivers very, very well without getting flagged. He he understands how to break on the ball. He understands just what he needs to do to get his hands on the ball, whether it's breaking it up or even intercepting or recovering a fumble. He's always in the area. He's always in the vicinity. He has that natural knack to get the ball however he can at best. And yeah, I think he is already there where – No disrespect to Trey White at his current state, even when he was healthy to begin the season. I think a Rasul Douglas, as healthy as he is and where he is currently in his career, is probably the best corner on this year's team that's been able to play minutes. And then, you know, opposite side of him, I'll say, Christian Benford, who was supposedly supposed to be on a bit of a pitch count, unfortunately has to play a little bit more than usual. You saw him even out there late where it really felt like, why is he still out there? Maybe they just didn't have any more boundary corners and they had to play him. He still looked pretty decent, even though he's coming off of a lag hamstring injury. I can't remember exactly what twitch hamm-y, muscle yeah. it is uh, hammy. It's, it's, it's an exciting time where in a very, very, very strange way, Josh, in a very roundabout way. Somehow our corners got better, even with Kyir Elam on IR and Trey White on IR as well. We have gotten to a place where Christian Benford and Rasul Douglas being our boundary corners has put us in a better position than what it felt like to open the season when you had Trey White, Christian Benford, and then Dane Jackson or Kyrie Elam as your thoughts there. It's like now that you're at a point with Rasul Douglas opposite of Christian Benford, it does feel a little bit better on the boundary so that hopefully that can still sh- continue to shut down those outsides. And then, you know, your injury riddled front seven, essentially at this point with, you know, e- asking a lot out of a Dodson or, a Dorian Williams or Linval Joseph, whenever that, uh, whenever those moments come, they just need to do their jobs inside the numbers and we can be okay. I do believe that can absolutely happen with this defense. and. Any criticism that I still reside with Sean McDermott, none of it comes to his ability to just strictly call a defense and understand what he needs to do on the defensive side of the ball. It's all bigger picture with head coaching and man management and time management and game management and all of those bigger things. When it comes down to the smaller, you know, kind of lens of just the defense, I think he will still continue to at least put These guys, no matter where they reside on the depth chart at the beginning of the season, where they are now, he will put them in opportunities to succeed, and they should be able to be an average to above average defense.
0: And we talked a lot about Terrell Bernard kind of coming out of nowhere and becoming really a star. I mean, he's played like a star, and he's not the only young player on this defense that has evolved into a star. And... A player that you and I have both been hard on, maybe me more than you, got a contract extension this offseason. Ed Oliver has turned into a star in this league. And, you know, it's a one year sample size, but according to next gen stats, prior to this game, Ed Oliver leads all defensive tackles in both pressures, 41, and pressure rate, 16.8%. Tony Romo said today on the broadcast that along with that, Ed Oliver's run stopping metrics are better when he's double teamed than most defensive tackles are when they're single blocked. He is living up to that contract. And then some, I don't know what the psychological thing is with Ed Oliver that made it click when the bills invested in him and showed they believed in him. It could not be a psychological thing. It could just be, he's a slower developing player, or it could be that um, they finally have the right mix around him or Maybe the rotation hid the fact that he was very good all along and it, and it limited him or he had the injury last year that slowed him down when he had a hot training camp. I don't know, but Luca Ed Oliver is 25 years old. He's going to be 26 when the season ends. And when this defense, we looked at it coming into it, like, okay, we know Milano is really good. We know Hyden Poyer have been really good. Tradavius White's been all pro, but man, these guys are all kind of aging. Where's this next wave? Where's this next generation of the Bills defense coming from at Oliver star Terrell Bernard star. We know how high you are on Christian Benford. We know what we've seen from Gregory Rousseau. Although I still think he's playing through an injury. We haven't seen the best version of him. You're starting to see some pieces in place on this defense where you can visualize how it maintains life after Hyde, Poyer, Tredavious, White, Taron Johnson, guys like that. What are your thoughts on Ed Oliver's season so
1: far? Um, first and foremost, I'm sad we're not on the Thanksgiving game because if he's playing this well right now and we know he's all time Thanksgiving, it's like, how would he then perform this year on Thanksgiving? I would expect a five plus sack outing, maybe trying to match Khalil Mack earlier this season. Um, but tongue in cheek out now. Uh I'm very, I'm very, very happy with Ed Oliver this year. It's one of those rare instances where he never truly put together enough where you felt the contract was justified in the extension and you almost feel inevitably what might happen is um, there's going to be a regression because now he feels his pockets are heavier. It's dragging him down kind of deal to be kind of not literal, but um. It's one of the rare instances where it feels like the money hit his bank account and all of a sudden he feels that now he can play up to that contract value and he can continue to progress for whatever reason. It might be that he's actually doing it. Josh, we don't know you listed out all the possibilities it could have been. And I think those are all justifiably kind of uh, valid when it comes to what potentially could have been hindering him in years past to where we see him now. It's just great to see as you are putting it perfectly in this question, yet another young talent that is now locked up for years to come, really start to shine and excel because there is that awkward era or phase that's coming to this defensive personnel that we've seen play at such a high level for many years, where you have a lot of aging out guys. You need some young talent to come in to help kind of ease into that next gen. And yes, Terrell Bernard at Oliver is now on that list. Clearly. I think Greg Rousseau has been good. You know, maybe there is the injury going on and stuff of that nature. But at the same time, I I think there's just something there where it's, it's a little disappointing. I really expected him to kind of pop up and be that superstar this year. I, I do wonder, you know, how much the injury really is. Like he missed on a sack in this game today. That was a little bit disheartening in my mind. I thought he definitely should have been able to get there, but things of that nature, he's still a great player in my eyes. And stuff of that nature, it's just going to come down to what you can do in the future at the safety position. Because, of course, we know how key that is for a Sean McDermott if he is still here or whatever the future defense is. You're going to have two all pro guys who are now getting older eventually go. And how do you replace those overtop coverage guys to then help your Christian Benford and Rusul for the immediate, and then whoever down the road as well? Like, how does that all work out? We will see, but to have building blocks where you can feel comfortable transitioning into those eras, Josh, it definitely is starting to feel better and better as we continue to learn about your Ed Oliver's and stuff as they progress and trend upwards.
0: You mentioned Tony Romo earlier. I don't know how much you got a chance to listen to him today, but he kind of got on my nerves with some of the, the Josh Allen pandering. And look, we love Josh Allen. Totally. But it had like a real Chris Collinsworth to Mahomes feel to it, where Josh Allen would throw an incomplete pass. And he's like, That is such a smart play from Josh Allen. That is that is a brilliant quarterback play. Or he throws it out of bounds on third down. He's like, I can't begin to tell you how smart that play is, or he checks it down to Ty Johnson. Look at Josh Allen, just work the, the linebacker CJ Mosley here. And it's like, okay, he threw a three-yard pass to Ty Johnson. Settle down. But one thing Tony Romo kept saying today, Luca, that I don't think was accidental, and I I do wonder what this means. He said three or four times, this offense looks good now. Wait till they get Dawson Knox back. And I will tell you, I have not spent a lot of time thinking about what this offense will look like when they get Dawson Knox back because I feel like they have found their groove in this new 11 personnel look. Davis I think Shakir has elevated himself to that wide receiver three. Kincaid is the primary tight end. Tony Romo said it enough that it makes me think that he has reason to believe they're going to go back to 12 personnel and maybe when they are in 11, I think Kincaid has earned the right to be that primary tight end for sure. I would be furious if he's not on the field at all times. But I I have a two-part question for you. One, do you buy into the fact that when Knox is healthy, they are going to trend more back to 12 personnel? And the two-part question, maybe a little bit more of a wild card, is there any chance that the guy that goes to the bench when they go to 12 personnel is not Khalil Shakir and it's Gabe Davis?
1: Ooh, that last one is an interesting one. First and foremost, I do see them going back to 12 personnel, at least in some regard. I think there was probably too much work done in the offseason leading up to this season with the 12 personnel idea that I do wonder if almost the playbook is being limited due to them not wanting to, you know, turn to page five through 10. That is all 12 personnel, you know, plays and looks and stuff of that nature, because what you have to remember about this team, and it's been in the back of my mind, I will say that or this in the back of my mind, it's been like this offense was at its best regardless how you look at it, when they had both tight ends available. Was it frustrating that Kincaid, now that we know what we do, wasn't the primary guy and instead it was Knox? Yes, absolutely. But in the heyday of this season, in that three-game stretch that we still love to go back to, it was 12 personnel. It was circled around that. And we haven't seen plays. And we still continue to complain that we haven't seen the plays that we saw in that stretch of football. And there might be something to it. Because of Knox's injury. I will just say that. When it comes to the Khalil Shakir conversation. Boy is that an interesting one. I think. This is going to be a weird way to say this. I think there's a political game in it. Where that's the only thing that's going to hold back Shakir. If we are just looking at pure skill. And field production. And just overall eye test. And everything of that nature. I'm with you on this point. I, I would like to see Shakir just get in the mix more so overall. If you're going to your 12 personnel and that leaves two wide out positions, why not? Gabe Davis is just not doing it anymore. I will say Gabe Davis is still probably the better blocker. So it's like, realistically, you probably do want that better blocker out there just because you're probably running more so out of 12 personnel than you would out of 11 naturally. Um, but. Um Overall, even if they are still trying to achieve a passing offense out of the 12, I still think just there's a comfortability probably with Gabe in the huddle um, for Josh Allen over so over as Khalil Shakir. But Khalil Shakir keeps giving Allen i reasons to like him and trust him. This touchdown today was yet another of just big pop plays that Shakir does produce for this offense that it's like, hey. Eventually, let's just see what else he can do. But I think it might be a bit of a stretch to see a world where they will inevitably, at this point in time, put Gabe Davis in as that man opposite of Diggs in 12 personnel in a two wide out set. I, I don't see that then. What I will add on top of this, real quick, though, is this should give them a. This should give Allen. This should give if Joe Brady becomes the guy which I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. If McDermott is still here after the season, I don't know if that'll be the case. We have to see how the season plays out when next year comes around. And hopefully 17 is our quarterback. Of course, Diggs is still here as our primary target. You don't see Gabe Davis potentially on this roster anymore. And there is a comfortable feeling with, well, we have Shakir. Now he's going to be that kind of guy. And let's see how this offer offense runs with him as the primary number two now. And then we will also potentially draft someone to then fill and come in to fill the roster out. And let's see where we go from there. That what we have seen out of Shakir today, what we have seen in flashes out of Shakir this season and last in brief moments that should give them, I believe, enough comfort where life post Gabe Davis is not going to be that bad.
0: My issue with Gabe Davis, it, it's never been, can he be an effective piece in an offense? It's, it's more, if, if what I project the bills to look like next year, I think they're going to have a very excellent tight end in Dalton Kincaid. I think they're going to have a very high end number one receiver in Stefan Diggs, you know, compare and contrast that to the chiefs from a couple of years ago. No, I'm not saying that they are Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, but kind of the same thing where your two best playmakers are your number one wide receiver. And you're tight in everybody else just kind of fits in as a role player some plays it was Hardman you know one year it was Juju um, for the bills, what I think their offense needs to evolve to is and Knox will still be here is if your offense is going to funnel through Diggs and Kincaid, then I don't need to one pay Gabe Davis eight figures to be on this team. I can find I can I'm fine with Khalil Shakir. Being in that role and then seeing what Justin shorter can become after another year of development and then seeing what you can get in the draft with your 10 draft picks. If you can get another weapon or two on this team, my frustration with Gabe Davis, and I assume your frustration too, is ever since John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders left, he has been anointed as the full-time wide receiver. If Gabe Davis was splitting time like Khalil Shakir has with Hardy and Sherfield, my frustration would not be as high. It's the fact that Gabe Davis continues to get a snap share, snap share of 90% and above when his play on the field does not warrant that. And I think as a role player in an offense, as a guy that you can throw up as a change of pace, as a guy that, you know, there's Diggs and Kincaid and then, you know, maybe Knox next here and then everybody else does their part. If Gabe Davis is part of that, everybody else, great but it's the fact that he is treated like he is an a-lister on this offense that has me completely frustrated. I think his contract year is going abysmal for him. Um, He, I put out the tweet earlier from Bill's chat. He has eight games this season out of 11 where he has three catches or less, and he has five games of 35 yards or less two games. He has zero catches. So it's the NFL. People are desperate for receivers. And he's a guy that has had some success in this league. DJ Chark continues to get contracts in this league. Gabe Davis will get paid by somebody. It'll probably be a sticker shock deal. I don't expect it to be the Buffalo Bills at this point. And I don't think it needs to be the Buffalo Bills. All right, Luca. I think a big piece of conversation about this game is not necessarily what happened in the game. But what does it mean for the standings? I think a lot of people are like, okay, we won. Let's I'm, I'm okay with talking about the playoff situation. So what we're going to do now is we're going to put a bow on the bills jets game. And then we're going to spin it around the league. Talk about the wild card implications and what happened in the games today and really give you a clear picture. Our guy, Luca has played around with the ES playoff ESPN playoff machine already. <laughs> he has a good feel for what that looks like for these bills. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit here, but before we do that, let's get into our favorite segment game balls and game checks. Uh, it's the MVP game ball game check. You played so poorly. You don't even deserve a game check. Luca, who gets your game ball for the Bills win today?
1: I'm just going to be real simple with this. And we, I, I kind of teased it off air to get a feel of where you were potentially going to go. Cause I was just curious. And I, you told me you were going to kick it to me. Um, and then you threw out a couple ideas and I told you both of those were wrong. Uh, that was not where I was going to go with it. I'm going to Khalil Shakir. I, I think in the limited opportunities, In the brief moments that he was there, he absolutely maximized everything he possibly could in this game. And in a game that you touched on, you needed to find other outlets because it just wasn't quite there with Diggs. Although you still gave him his plenty, eight targets. He had four of those catches. A couple of those were kind of dirt balls or there was one that Allen honestly just threw it way too in front of Diggs on a quick screen, which... That was interesting. They both give each other a thumbs up for what it's worth. So it didn't seem like it was a massive issue, but um, Diggs wasn't, you know, churning on all cylinders. Kincaid got a lot of early targets. It felt like, but then it flamed out a little bit. You needed to find production elsewhere and you spread the ball around a bit and then leaned on the running game more. But then from there, the big play, the big moment, the, the, Plays you needed big production. So Khalil Shakir, of course, has that 81-yard touchdown. But then there was another big catch, too, at a moment in time where he picked up a first down that I thought was massive for him and Allen and for the offense overall that I truly believe that my game ball should go to Khalil Shakir because it is just yet another moment with just a small amount of opportunities that he absolutely capitalized on in this season once again that I am all for it. And I am very, very happy to see that. So, Khalil Shakir, you get my game ball.
0: It's a great call out. He uh, he has really blossomed into a guy that you know. I don't know if he'll become a full time starter for this team, but he still has two years left on his rookie deal, and that's why you want to draft these guys because if they turn into weapons, they are basically free labor for the next couple of years. And Khalil Shakir is going to be a weapon on this team, along with Kincaid, along with James Cook for pennies on the dollar for the next few years for these bills, which is what they need when they have so much high-priced talent. I love that pick for you. Um, There was a couple different ways I could go with this. I think Leonard Floyd is having a fantastic season. I know he is. He had two and a half sacks today, nine and a half on the season, and he is well on his way to the best season of his career from a sack production-wise. He's hit 10 one time, so once he gets another sack, he'll be right there. Ed Oliver was dominant today. Terrell Bernard was dominant today, had a half a sack. I mean, quite honestly, um, you know, I was honestly, I could give it to I'm, I, I'm switching my plan on the fly because I just looked at the defensive box score and I'm like, OK, I need to save some face here and give it to this guy. So um, I was going to give it to Joe Brady because I felt like giving it to him would perfectly encompass like what what we saw from the offense, the attitude, maybe the move from McDermott kind of a nod to everybody of like, hey, this worked tough opponent. We all got it together. Joe Brady, kudos to you, but I'm sorry. (laughs) Rasul Douglas, two interceptions, a fumble recovery, filled up the stat sheet as well as a cornerback can. He's been on the team for three weeks. He's had turnovers in two games. He's already, in my opinion, the best boundary cornerback on this team. He and Christian Benford excite me for what they can do this year and what they can do with another full offseason together going into next year. I fully expect them to be the Bills' starting tandem next year as well. Rasul Douglas, Brandon Bean, hat tip to you along. You know, you've come under some fire recently. When you lose, everybody comes under fire. But at Oliver's turn into a star, that is a great contract by you and Rasul Douglas for flipping a third for a fifth to get this kind of a starting cornerback, which this team desperately needed. Think about where this team would be without Rasul Douglas as Dane Jackson went down today and they were out. They were out of call-ups on Josh Norman. It was Saran Neal time (laughs) if Rasul Douglas wasn't on this team. Um, with Philadelphia and Kansas city on the horizon, by the way, um, master masterful move by Brandon Bean. we both approve of it. And Rasul Douglas hat tip to you. Congratulations. You fit right in with this squad and you're already an impact player. All right, Luca, let's spin it around the league. Um, what stood out to you on the out of town scoreboard? And let's start with maybe games that mostly impacted the bills. And I think one of those that's kind of sneakily impacted the bills is, the Houston Texans Arizona Cardinals game that I know you paid a lot of attention to we definitely wanted the Texans to lose that game uh, as far as like wild card standings go they didn't but what I saw today from the Texans is they won the game but I saw some warts I saw I saw CJ Stroud throw a couple of bad balls I don't think their defense is great I think the Texans are the kind of team that when you start looking at the rest of their schedule and you're like, we got to find them a couple of losses, there's going to be some games along the way where you're like, they're not going to lose to that team. And they just might. Maybe it's a Tennessee Titans team that catches them on the wrong day. I, I feel better about the fact that despite that I thought the Cardinals were live today coming in because Murray's always played well in the state of Texas, I think what we saw from the Texans today gives me hope that maybe they will find a way to trip up and not get one of those wild
1: card spots. Yeah, for sure. We can talk more about this game. We didn't do game checks yet there, Josh. Holy cow. I'm in (laughs) such a good mood. Such a long winded thing there that I was like, I'm going to let him go and stuff. And I even noted when we start doing around the league and I'm going to post it. But yeah, we didn't do our game checks. Also shout out, by the way, real quick for last one. uh, Reggie Gilliam started the game hot and (sighs) I just want to give him the shout out there. Starting with a bang on this game to really set the tone. Shout out him Uh, game check real quick. We can do that because we want to get to the around the yeah, league yeah. here. I don't want to waste such a beautiful, oh, beautiful opening that You just so did good. there. That was a really good one. Uh, game check. Honestly, it is going to go to Deontay Hardy. This is one where real quick, it doesn't feel like it's entirely on his fault, but yet again, it's just someone that we signed in the off season. Felt like potentially could be an impact guy in some regard for this offense, but continues to be just utilized as a gadget guy, like a whatever. And it's just meaningless to this offense that I think where you're going to go is pretty self-explanatory based on our conversations tonight. But I just wanted to also bring up Deontay Hardy. It's just once again, kind of a game check, partially due to him just not being able to make the most of it. But also at the end of the day, it's like you could have probably not played and we would have been fine.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great segue to mine because I'm going to go Gabe Davis and we are on dangerously close to renaming this, the Gabe Davis Memorial Award, oh, which geez. means, which means next year, Gabe Davis will become a thousand yard receiver for the Colts. Um, but, <laughs> it actually could happen. He too. might, he might, I mean, it all lines up. Pittman's a free agent. They yep. have a good young quarterback. I, I could see it. Um, But Both with Davis and Hardy on a day where Josh Allen throws for 275. We already mentioned Diggs did not have a great day, 27 yards. Kincaid only 46. And these are your two deep threats. These are the guys that are on this roster to get deep, and they have zero catches. There's no verticality to their game. And then you see Khalil Shakir turn a a mid-range pass into a home run ball. You see Ty Johnson get a ball in space and make a long run out of it. Um, That's what this offense has needed. That's what Deontay Hardy was supposed to bring to this offense. He certainly hasn't. And then Gabe Davis, we've already kind of talked about. I feel like I'm just piling on him at this point. But zero catches, uh, second time this year, getting zero catches. Two catches in the last three games, by the way, for Gabe Davis. Uh, Any way you want to spin the numbers, it is brutal. All right, Luca, we're going to pretend that (laughs) I just kicked it over to you with that beautiful breakdown of the Texans and the Cardinals. And I just asked you, did uh, the, the Texans show you something that gives you optimism that they could drop a game or two down the stretch?
1: Yes, there was an absolute scenario where the Texans lost today to Kyler Murray, who just lost in the state of Texas for the first time in his football career. And of all teams to do it to, it wasn't the Texas Longhorns. It wasn't any team in high school. It wasn't the Dallas Cowboys when he's played there twice. No, it was somehow the Houston Texans that bettered Kyler Murray in the state of Texas. It It's fascinating that it was still a game, as I said. And honestly, the still Cardinals fandom that lives in my body was happy to see the loss. But the after seeing what we saw last week with Kyler Murray, I was like, he's really about to do this again. He's really about to lead in a two-minute drill for the win in the dying minute of this game. And I really thought that that was going to happen. They got to a point where he just took a shot on fourth and whatever distance. It wasn't there ultimately for, I think it was Marquise Brown targeted. It was on the boundary. It just wasn't there. But realistically, I think if the Cardinals were a slightly better team than what they are, I think they do win that game. Like, let's say if you put... This is going to be a weird thing to say, Josh, but let's say you put the Aiden O'Connell Raiders in that game. I think they actually might win that game. The Texans were just doing things early on outside of a couple like incredible plays by CJ Stroud. I think it was the third touchdown to tank Dell. Just an absolute peach of a ball outside of those moments. The Texans were doing a lot of floundering, not finding their footing in this game. Maybe they were playing down a little bit to the Arizona Cardinals, but the Cardinals could have absolutely won that game. So going down the stretch, when you still have another game against the Jags coming up next week and things of that nature, they can absolutely lose that game. But then also, I don't know what else they have on the horizon because they probably have an easier schedule due to where they finished last season. There could still be kind of a slip up in the waiting for the Houston Texans after what we saw against the Arizona Cardinals. And just once again, Kyler Murray is so dang fun to watch. He just continues to show he wasn't even wearing a brace this week and he's still flying around there. I think uh, there was a fun conversation that was had Josh. Just, I want to say this. I, I want this recorded. We believe in my living room that there will be a day sooner rather than later that we get tire changes for knees for athletes And next thing you know, ACL, ACL tears could potentially become like a six week injury at this point, because it is incredible to see what we're seeing out of Kyler Murray, considering a late October Halloween weekend, ACL tear for him. And he looks as if nothing happened essentially. And he is exactly what we saw prior to the injury. It's incredible. Uh, medical is at an all time high right now. It was remarkable. So Texans can slip up. Kyler Murray makes football. He's. Kyler Murray's good for football. Regardless if even I want to watch them win or lose, it's still a lot of fun. There's a reason I main screened it in my living room during the one o'clock slate. That was a fun game. And the Texans definitely aren't kind of world beaters at this point. They're still a very impressive team. CJ Stroud's very, very good, but they can slip up any given Sunday. There are still errors to be had with that roster.
0: Speaking of medical science, it's been proven that if you struggle to fall asleep, one way to remedy that is to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. They had 77 yards passing today (laughs) as they drop a game to Dorian Thompson Robinson and the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. And I think what's interesting about that is the Browns and the Steelers are two teams that are both surrounding the Bills along with the Bengals. I think a lot of us are writing off the Bengals at this point because of the Joe Burrow injury. But the Steelers schedule the Steelers schedule, it looks easy, but then you start looking at it, you're like, okay, they lost to the Browns in Cleveland. They have two games left with the Bengals. What if they split those? They play the Cardinals, who we already talked about. And I gotta tell you, I I know what the rest of the rosters look like. When that game comes up, I'm gonna have a hard time picking the the Kenny Pickett team over the Kyler Murray team. Just just being honest with you. Yeah, Bill Bill Belichick (laughs) has owned the Steelers. That game looks easy, but they've always done well against the Steelers. They go to the Colts. They go to the Seahawks and to the Ravens. So I know the schedule looked easy, but this feels like a loss that they are really going to be kicking themselves in about Pittsburgh and the larger point here. Luca, I know you play with the ESPN playoff machine. A lot of these teams in the AFC that are surrounding the bills, the bills are sitting right now in the eight seed without the the Broncos and uh, Vikings having gone final yet. That game will not bump the bills out of the eight seed because the Broncos have one less game played regardless of what happens. Um, A lot of these teams play each other, which is good or bad because one of those teams will be getting a win every time. One of those teams will be getting a loss but I think ultimately speaking, that if the Bills can take care of business and go five and two down this stretch, they've already done one. So now four and two the rest of the way, they should be able to get in from a wild card standpoint. Where are you at with the AFC wild card piece? And then I'll, I'll since I, that's kind of a shorter question, are you focused more on the wild card? Are you focused on catching Miami? Or is it just simply both?
1: It's kind of simply both. To, to answer the last question, because playing around with the playoff uh, machine playoff. Uh, yeah. Playoff machine. I don't know why I was wondering or questioning what it's called. Um, what I will say is the weird thing I noticed was just due to kind of how awful the bills have been in the AFC and due to them essentially be due, due to them having such an awful AFC conference record, they have put themselves in position where they, they basically can't win a tiebreaker if there's a mass grouping among all the different teams for that wild card spot. They lose just too many of those tiebreakers due to the Steelers, the Colts, the Texans, all of these other teams that will be in that mix, most likely having just a better conference record. So due to that. And then also still having that half game on Miami with another game in their control week 18 against Miami, depending on how the other results go, they can still win the division as it stands, even with a loss to the Eagles, because, of course, that is not AFC related. And that doesn't even necessarily reflect to the wild card. You would still like to see them competitively. A win is a win. If they can somehow steal that win in Philly going into the bye, that would be amazing. But. There's a lot of weight in that game after the buy in Arrowhead. And then after that point, you have kind of you have the Dallas game, but then you have Chargers, Patriots and Dolphins. If you can somehow rattle all of those off, not only is the wild card in play, I do believe based on what we see with the Dolphins schedule and their kind of lack of ability to even pull away from a Raiders team, for instance, the division still. As much as in play as the wild card, considering all of those different variables. And, and what I will add to it when it comes to the surrounding wild card teams, I mean, Pittsburgh might be regressing to the mean and some, a- as much as we may have been rooting for Pittsburgh to kind of get there because of all the mess that is in the AFC North. Cleveland's just a better team that can probably operate around a DTR at this point. You just need DTR not to screw up. I can absolutely see this Cleveland defense you know, only allowing 10, 13, 16 points to teams every week. And it's like, Hey, if we just need to max our offense out at 17 points with a good offensive line, a, an established running game, that's even without Nick Chubb. Imagine this team with Nick Chubb. My God, like it's crazy to think about this Cleveland team, even without their quarterback is still a threat to be had in that conference. And then the Bengals are kind of flaming out, although don't sleep on Jake Browning low key, kind of like I'm a little bit out of college. I'm not in love with him, but I like kind of his moxie and how he likes to throw the ball. I think he showed a little bit in that Ravens Thursday night game for whatever it's worth, but the AFC North is open and a Cleveland team can still separate where I am okay with the result that we saw because I truly believe what Pittsburgh's been able to achieve up to this season is the biggest anomaly that we've seen in a while. Basically, since when they went, what was it, eleven and zero to start a season, a couple in the COVID year? Maybe they got up to thirteen and zero. I can't remember what they ended up at before they finally lost. But that also was one of those crazy ones where it's like this team is not a, you know, ten and eleven and zero team. It's just somehow they keep pulling out these results. Same thing goes with this team. They're getting out gained week after week after week. And somehow they're finding a way to win with Kenny Pickett, not even eclipsing hundred yards passing. Like that, they, they should be losing these games. And yet somehow they find a result, whether it's a TJ Watt interception or fumble return for a touchdown or whatever it might be. They found ways to win in all respect to that. You will regress. You will eventually come back down to earth and see what reality really is like with the crap offense that you have and the defense that yes, has a lot of edge rushers, But even on the boundary, Josh, when you think about it, Levi Wallace and Patrick Peterson is your boundary corners. No Minka still at this point in time at the safety position. Like, are they truly going to be able to compete with anyone that has any viable weapons? Probably not. And that's why they continue to get outgained. So I don't know. I, I don't see them being in it, even though they currently sit in that seven spot right now. The Texans are still the Texans and that they easily have a shot at the division right now. That Jags Texans game next week is going to be wild, but it feels like the Ravens are kind of pulling away a little bit currently at this point in time in the AFC North, although Cleveland may have a say in it, just even without their quarterback. You look at the Colts, don't disrespect Gardner Minshew, and I think they're kind of low-key interesting when it comes to like Jonathan Taylor. There's a lot to be had in the AFC but the bills should still be in this mix. I just think based on the conference record, they built themselves on the foundation is not exactly built with concrete. And therefore it's a situation where the division might be just as much in play as a as a wild card due to losing every tiebreaker known to man.
0: The way I look at the AFC, the chargers loss today was massive because I think the chargers, I mean, I've been, I've bit the cheese many times. I think they are, way more talented than a lot of these teams we're talking about. Um, But them getting to six losses already, they have the Ravens on the horizon. They still got to play the chiefs. Um, You know, it's tough Uh, when I think for the bills to be in the wildcard hunt one, they need to go four and two in their last six games. And I think they also need one team from each division to kind of fall back. You have the Texans and the Colts and you have, the the Steelers and the Browns. Now, maybe you want to say it's the Bengals and the Browns. If you think really, because the Bengals and Steelers play each other twice, that'll kind of determine who that second team is in the AFC North. And you need them to kind of eat at each other and one of those teams to fall back. So I think the Bills are in good shape if they get there. Like you said, the Bills need to win their AFC games. They're going to have to win a game down the stretch that we probably uh, were more comfortable giving them a loss before the season started. And the simpler thing is you can get your head in a, you can get your brain in a pretzel trying to figure out the wild card standings. Cause it's all these teams jumbled in the simplest way is be within one game of Miami in week 18 and winning your end baby. And you got a home game the next week. Like that's the easiest path. So um there was a point on our pregame show before, I mean, before we even started going not pregame show before our show started tonight, where I said to Luke, I was like, are we sure we were going for Miami to lose today? And you're like, Yeah, because you win the division, you don't have to think about the rest of it. Um, You know, Miami plays the Jets twice. Be nice if they could lose one there. They got to play the Ravens still. They got to play the Bills. There are potential losses on their schedule. I do think Luca for the Bills to catch the Dolphins, they are gonna have to win an Arrowhead, like you said. If they win an Arrowhead, they're alive for the division. If they don't win an Arrowhead, I do think that it starts to become more of you know assuming that Miami takes care of business along the way if Miami trips up who knows i'm uh, looking at the schedule right now Miami only has one more i'm looking at it on um the tv Miami is 7 and 3 the bills are 6 and 5 and the dolphins have one less game played so the bills have their bye week coming up so if Miami were to lose on friday to the jets and then the bills go to philly and beat the eagles that changes the entire conversation let's talk about that eagles game luca Before the season started, when we did our schedule predictions, we both agreed this was probably the most intimidating game on the schedule. Sitting here, going into week 12. This is, I think, still a very tough game. Now, there's some things working in the Bills' favor. They've already played. They're rested. The Eagles don't play until Monday night. They're on the road in Kansas City in what should be a very physical football game. So they have a short week coming off of that. Two, the Bills got through this game relatively unscathed when it comes to big players on their team. We don't know what's going on with Taylor Rapp, but honestly, like as far as like wins and losses go, Taylor Rapp isn't like super consequential to that. We hope he's doing well, obviously not trying to minimize that. The Eagles still have a game to go through. There's always the potential of losing an important piece. How are you feeling in general about this game? Um, is there an early feel you have on it? We, we both kind of looked at the, the point spread and we're a little surprised by it. It's three and a half in favor of the Eagles. What, what's your read on this game here a week out?
1: I need it to just be competitive. I need it to just be a game where we see the bills show life. And, and I say that where it's like, yeah, of course I want the win. We all want the win stuff of that nature. I said in our live show that the result of the Jets game, even if it was a dominant win like we now experienced, it wouldn't move the ticker too much. It wouldn't kind of move the needle uh, for how I felt about this team and its current season where they've you know kind of left themselves. The Eagles game in a loss does have outcomes that could still move the needle for me going into the bye. And that would just be being competitive. And just it not to be the kind of ass beating that I quite literally, that's what I expect. My my realistic expectation for that game, Josh, is the offensive line for the Eagles is going to dominate the small defense. That is the bills. They will be able to kind of impose their will on us and where maybe on the scoreboard it's a 10 point win for them and that doesn't feel like a dominant win. The eye test without a scoreboard on the screen would tell you that the Bills got handled up and down the field, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I think the defensive line, of course, for the Eagles is going to be an absolute nightmare for the Bills. The offensive line for the Eagles, I think, might find it to be almost like they were playing against a practice squad team at times, just due to the size of what the Bills kind of have to offer for them. They're the heaviest offensive line in the league, that is the Eagles this is probably not what they're used to. They're used to playing bigger uh, defensive lines that they see in their own com- in their own division and own conference. I, I just fully, I-, I can't get my head outside of anything other than a pretty dominant win by the Eagles. The only thing that holds me back truly from that being a mo- the most definite re- thing that's going to happen is the Eagles defense when it comes to the pass defense has been suspect. And if Josh Allen just goes, Super Scion goes superhuman, just goes back to Kansas City in the playoffs. Josh Allen, I I think there could be a game of this, and that I would love to see that realistically. If it's a competitive game, I think it's going to take you know all facets of the game, it's going to take offense, defense, and field position being controlled by the special teams. You need Philly to not be clicking on all cylinders in the run game, um, because truthfully, that's it's going to be more on them about that than us um i i said off air kind of when we get to this talking point what i wanted to get at my dream scenario outside of a win my dream scenario for this game was a game you brought up actually um unsolicited where you know could we see something like the buccaneers 2021 game the game i was at where the first half was just gut wrenching it's a gut punch we look like garbage nothing's going right and then all of a sudden it's like a uh, switch was flipped. And in the second half, we saw what ended up being an offense that truthfully was 13 seconds away from hosting a conference championship game later on that same season. And it clearly turned the corner, a massive corner, and what ended up being the success and definitely not the downfall of this team and just some bad luck and suspect game management ultimately let them down. If we see something like that Tampa game in this Philly game going into the bye, where they really turn things on, force it to overtime, where a last second kind of, say, Jalen Hurts needs a, a two minute drill to end up getting a walk off field goal, that is a world that I can ultimately be very happy with, move the needle on this team and feel much better about them going into the bye and then coming out of the bye going to Arrowhead. What? What's going to happen kind of outside of that? I don't know. Competitive, I will go for. But if realistically we get a Tampa-like game where, yes, they lose, but something happened at halftime or whenever that actual moment happens that they all of a sudden kind of light a fire under their own asses and figure things out, I will absolutely take that scenario, and that will truthfully move the needle for me to make me feel better going into that key stretch post by week that maybe they can do something still and recover this season from what it is. You know, you're so right about that because
0: there are different kinds of close games. In theory, the bills Bengals game was a close game this year, but it never felt close. It felt like it almost felt like a Dick bills game where the bills kept it close because they played so defensively. They were playing the field position game. They were playing so scared on offense They were trying to prolong the game, but they never attacked. And if this game is that, if this game is a carbon copy of the Bills-Bengals game where the offense goes into a turtle shell because they're so afraid of what the defense has to face against the Eagles that they play time of possession, they punt, force long fields, and then late in the game, the Bills offense closes it to a one possession game before ultimately the game ends, that's not going to make me feel better. But if the bills go out here and like legitimately punch with the Eagles, if it's a shootout or if it's just a defensive battle, if it's just a really good defensive battle and this bill's defense is shutting down a good team, I I think that's, that's different. And punching with the Eagles in this spot, um, I think would give this team some life going into the bye. Now they're almost out of mulligans here. If they lose this game, whether it's, good or bad by the eye test, it's going to be their sixth loss of the season. And I think comfortably we can really only project them to have seven losses. I'm so petrified of what I'm going to see on my, my screen here, because you're about 30 seconds ahead of me. And
1: it might be the biggest joke of a two point attempt. That that was
0: a really bad two point attempt. So it's (laughs) Josh Dobbs time to shine folks. If you're wondering what we're talking about, uh, we're recording this during Sunday night football, Cortland Sutton, just absolutely dunked on somebody in the end zone. To give the Broncos a one point lead with about a minute left, and now just to twist the knife on Luca and me, they're showing highlights from the <sighs> Bills Broncos game. Which I mean, just if you want to really get mad, just think about if the Bills had that game in their pocket, how this all would feel so different. But yeah, I give the Bills a shot against the Eagles. I think realistically, the Bills are probably going to have to win one of these next two games um, to to really be live um, in the wild card. But <clears throat> if they drop them both, they just got to be perfect down the stretch. I hope other teams fall off, but Luca, we're about an hour and 12 minutes in any final thoughts on bills. Jets before we get out of here,
1: (sighs) final thoughts on bills, jets, um, feels good to dominate a game again, to be quite honest, after the stretch or uh, after the stretch of games they've had recently, but then also the week of hell that they've had essentially after that Broncos game that we just referenced, but It's good to get one under your belt. It's good to kind of maybe get a little bit of the swag back in this locker room, but ultimately, I'm hoping they kind of dust it off. I don't even think they need to watch any of the tape of this. They just need to move forward and kind of be all eyes on the Philly game and just make something of it. Again, we just mentioned we don't need it to be a win necessarily to get us back on board, but ultimately... Be competitive. Be in it. Be the team we know you hopefully can still be, even with injuries and everything else going on. So um, that's all I'll say on that. It's good to get the Jets' dominant win and kind of get that monkey off your back after what happened Week One. But it's all eyes on Philly at this point.
0: And honestly, if you're going to make the playoffs, Philly and the Chiefs are the kind of teams you're going to have to beat anyway in the playoffs. Chances are you have to beat them on the road, especially the Chiefs side because of the amount of losses you have. So like Lucas said to me off air, we keep referencing these off air conversations. If the bills don't make the playoffs because the Cardinals didn't beat the Texans, what are we doing? (laughs) This bills team was never good enough to, if they can't be a top seven team in the AFC, because the Cardinals didn't beat the Texans, like that this season was never going to go anywhere, anywhere. Everything is in front of the bills. Their destiny is in their own hands. They have six games left and they have the talent to get it done. We will see if they get it done. Whether or not they get it done is irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant to whether or not we'll be back because we are back on Friday night with Bill's chat live on built in Buffalo. We'll be breaking down this big matchup with the bills and the Eagles until then though, go Eagles, go take care of the the chiefs on Monday night. And then Luca and I'll be back in these very chairs on Bill's chat with the post game. Look at Bill's Eagles next week. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next week on Bill's Chat.